When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Talk Tottenham, sponsored by NordVPN. Now it's six days ago since Tottenham were last in action, a 1-0 win over Portsmouth in the FA Cup. And in that time, there's still been plenty to, to discuss ahead of Sunday's North London derby against Arsenal. Alistair Gold joining me as ever. Ali, how are you? Yeah, good, good. Nervously anticipating another North London derby. I never enjoy them unless, you know, the result was a positive one at the end. But in the build-up and even like, even the early moments, uh, I never enjoy them. But uh, hopefully, hopefully Spurs will have a bit of a, a stronger team to put out and um, Conte can get them a, a similar result to what they got last time at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Then this week, uh, I think there's been one thing on the lips of all Tottenham fans, and that's potential investment into the club. Uh, you've been covering this story all week. Do you want to discuss, first of all, you know what's been happening? Yes. Well, yes. Unless any Spurs fans have been kind of living under a rock over the last, uh, when was it? It was about a week or so, isn't it? Um, so, <laughs> where do we start with this? So, there was an early report came out, I think it was Ben Jacobs of CBS, I think. Um, he was the first one to, to break it, that Spurs had had some exploratory talks with um, QSI, which is the Qatar Sports Investments. Um, they're, they're headed up by Nasser Al-Khalifi. If you're not aware of who he is, he's the PSG owner um, and also head of ECA, which is the European Club Association. So that's on one side. I should stress... <laughs> you know when you're in America and you watch the adverts and uh, they're like selling you some kind of medical tablets or something and at the end there's this bloke goes very quickly we should also state that these tablets cause your arms and legs to fall off and your head may explode essentially everything I'm going to say about this I've got to kind of also tag on the end but Tottenham say that none of this is true and they deny every single thing associated with this so <laughs> we're going we're gonna to have that caveat at the end Spurs are absolutely in full denial mode that any of this is the case but <laughs> from what I understand, uh, this meeting did take place, um, although I suppose tonight. Um, this took place in a London hotel um, last week, and many topics were discussed. I should just set the background that Daniel Levy and Nasser Al-Khalifi Al-Khalifi are friends and have been apparently for a long time. Spurs and PSG, of course, have done loads of deals over the past, and they're also both involved with the ECA. And apparently, whenever in the same city, they meet up. Um, so that's the simple side. That's that's the side of relationship that there's 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 there can be no denials that come from Tottenham on that one. That is just kind of as it is. Um, so what I understand, Daniel Levy was out in Qatar for the ECA meeting early December. There's some suggestions he may have been out in Qatar again during the festive period, um, and. From what I understand, there has this is this meeting last week was the second occasion 
when the subject of potential investment has been broached. Um, of course, Spurs deny this. Um, the main One of the main topics of the meeting was um, this kind of joint venture between the UEFA and ECA, um, which is, was announced a little while back, uh, which essentially is to do with media rights sales for all the European competitions, Champions League, Europa League, uh, Conference League, all the club competitions from 2024 onwards. Long story short, the clubs are going to get a lot more money from the revenue streams from that. So that was one of the main topics. Although, from what I understand, Nasser al Khalifi was there in a QSI um, role rather than anything to do with the ECA, but obviously both being heads of major clubs in Europe, that was one of the main topics. But from what I understand, talk also turned again to any potential investment opportunities in the club. Um, so... What's happening with QSI, the Qatar Sports Investments, is that they're at the moment they only own PSG and about a 22-23% stake in Braga in Portugal. They're looking to increase their ambitions post-World Cup to try and make themselves a little bit more like the City Group that own Manchester City, New York City, Melbourne City. There's probably others I'm not even aware of um, as well. So they're looking to, I think, go down that road. Obviously, the restrictions in place by UEFA mean that you can't fully own and control more than one club. Um, so if they were to buy into others, and apparently they've got a bit of an eye on the Premier League as one of their potential avenues, um, they'd have to take a minority stake because unless they sold up in PSG, and that looks very unlikely with everything they've done there um, and what they've kind of built. So... That's where that's at. And so I understand talks did turn to potential investment, not stating naming rights. I know some people have speculated maybe that would be the case. For what I understand, I've spoken to people on both sides of these um, talks that never apparently happened. Um, and the stadium was very, uh, very much no. That was that was not something apparently that was discussed, um, presumably because they're an investment firm, more than something that they can kind of promote their brand. I know technically you could promote Qatar, but I don't think, unless I'm wrong, you probably know better than me, PSG Stadium, the Parc de um, France, that's not sponsored, is it? I think it's just known as, like you said, Parc de France. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's the I don't, best I don't think it's sponsored. No, exactly. And I think that was put to me that, you know, if they were that keen on sponsoring, the name of the stadium would be that of their own club kind of thing. So, yeah, apparently that wasn't kind of turned towards... Um, again, I really should state, again, because I haven't actually said it yet, that this is very much preliminary. This is something that, you know, everyone I've spoken to uh, also around the QSI side of things, there's very much, um, uh, well, it, it could end up being nothing. It, could, it was just something that was a subject that was broached. Um, and there's also a feeling that from that side that, you know, potentially Spurs have been talking to another couple of other interested parties in investment. Um, it's an interesting one, the whole investment thing, because, you know, there's obviously a lot of talk that eventually Enoch uh, would look to sell Spurs at some point. But the problem is, is if you bring someone in in a part investment role, that actually makes that process much more difficult. Because obviously, especially if it were to be QSI, you can't sell to them because of the whole PSG thing. Um, and they would also have to be convinced to sell to the other people. So that actually makes that process a little bit more complicated rather than having a, a bigger stake yourself. Um, obviously, you know, we've seen the reaction on, on Twitter. It's, I'd say it's been mixed. I'd say most of people, social media is obviously not the best barometer of probably of opinion, but 
you know, obviously you've got people that are very excited that, that you know, the what? How do I put this? The flooding of money into the club. Um, well, that's interesting. I'm not entirely sure how that works because technically they're just buying the stake of someone else. I guess it's how much they then put on on top of that. I suppose would be the key. Um, but obviously they're in a world or a Premier League where you've got the likes of City, Newcastle, and Chelsea that are just spending such huge amounts of money, and you've got United with their enormous revenue stream. Um, yeah, obviously. You need you need the extra um, financial firepower, I suppose, going forward. There's that, and of course, there's going to be the other side to it with um, you know morally people having their views on it as well. Um, obviously, we saw all of that with the World Cup and Qatar. To be honest, I think that's something that kind of probably has to be saved until we see whether it actually does develop into something. At this moment in time, like I say, it's just very much a conversation that apparently allegedly never ever happened between these two very powerful men in football um but if it does then i guess we go down that road and we start to fully examine what it could be and all of that but uh yeah like i say you know there's a feeling there's a couple of other parties that spurs will have or interested parties that have approached spurs i'd say I should say that this meeting, from what I understand, was a mutually arranged one as well. It wasn't like one side or the other. It was just something that the two two sides put together to talk about a whole range of topics. Um, and yeah, we'll see what comes of it. Um, I'm, sh- I'm pretty certain, from what I understand, that they've uh, QSI have also spoken to other clubs in the Premier League. Um, so it may be that they go to another club. It may be that Spurs go elsewhere. It may be that Spurs don't even take investment. Um it's one of those where I think, like any time there's a stadium naming rights name put out there, everyone goes, well, there it is, it's here, quick, buy the £100 million players. Um, I think, yeah, it's just one to see where it goes. Um, I've seen some people saying, oh, it's just to distract us from the transfer windows. Like that. I think that's the case. <laughs> I don't think you... Uh, although, look, this is me speculating because you know I don't know whether this is one of the topics, but you'd imagine if two of the biggest... Two of the, um, well, one chairman, one owner of two of the biggest clubs in Europe got together. You'd imagine some transfer talk might have taken place or they might have discussed something. You know, that's very much me speculating, but I'd be stunned in a meeting that probably would have taken a few hours. They didn't mention one or two of their players. Um, But yeah, yeah, we'll see where it goes. We'll see what comes of it. Um, But yeah, it's been a fascinating week reporting on something that apparently never happened. Yeah, certainly interesting. I'm just wondering, maybe, say, if it did come to fruition and they did have a minority stake in Tottenham, is there long-term thinking, maybe sell PSG and then, you know, move to the Premier League because the Premier League is the biggest and best league in in the world. And uh, the PSG, I think all they really need to do now is just win the Champions League. Mm. And there's going to be a time where, obviously, Lionel Messi's going to go at some point. You'd imagine Mbappe probably will go. Neymar's not getting any younger. Maybe they believe that there could be a time when things could move on uh, at some point. So it's going to be interesting uh, to see how things pan out over uh, the coming weeks. So that's certainly one we'll have to keep an eye on. And I think one all Tottenham fans will want to keep an eye on uh, as well. Uh, as well as that, in terms of finances, I believe, Ali, the financial report for the year, what people are waiting for, 
I would think in February now. Yeah. Yeah. One of those. From what I understand, and I've been saying this a while now, so it's no kind of new breaking news or anything. I understand that that's pretty much been ready to go for a fair few weeks now. Um, but, uh, well, what happened was it was the um, Tottenham Hotspur Supporters Trust uh, put in a, a, a few questions, challenging questions to the board to get a response to. Um, and although the board aren't responding to them yet, they have kind of given them an indication that they will respond and they've also, within their response to the trust, have said that the club's financial results will be released in February. Um, and they also said that they can't address their issues right now for commercial reasons. So the logic for what I would think it must be, bringing them out in February, I think normally we get them around November. I'm pretty sure I remember doing them each. Sometimes late November. Um I think the logic would be that in a transfer window, you don't let potential selling clubs know that, let's say, for instance, we know that they had to take the last 50 million of that Enic capital increase by the end of the year. So you'd presume they've taken that. Um, I don't know whether you'd have to declare that on company's house or not. It's it's not on there. I don't know whether there's a certain amount of time before you have to do that or if it's in the financial statement, whether you're able to wrap it up into that. I wouldn't be able to entirely understand the logic of not taking that final 50 million unless, because it also gives Enoch a slightly bigger share um, of the club or whether they just feel value wise. I don't know. I, don't, I can't think of a reason not to take it, especially when it's been offered up for that process. Um, but yeah, going back to what I was originally saying, I think the idea would be not to tell potential selling clubs that maybe they have that extra 50 million or maybe that, huge cash generating stadium with pretty much a whole financial year worth of being open maybe not all of it but most of it you know the millions that that will bring in for every premier league game nfl game boxing event rugby event uh concerts various events that go on there that will be that is their money printing machine essentially I suppose that's their one of their ways of fighting the big boys is to have this well, most amazing stadium in the Premier League. It is. It's um, it's an incredible place. So, whether to not let these clubs know, oh yeah, yeah, don't don't chuck another couple of million on because you know that we made X amount in revenue last year or whatever or profit. Um, so I kind of get it, but what I would say is it could backfire horribly <laughs> in that if they have a poor transfer window, get a lot of criticism for it. And then the day after the transfer window open goes, here's all the money we made. <laughs> it's like, oh no, you're in big you're in trouble now. You are going to get so much flack. Um, I guess I suppose it works the other way. That If they said we've got all this money, then the expectation would be that they they do it, uh, they use it. Um, I mean, it may go the other way. Maybe the, the results come out and they go, oh, we're broke. But I would very much doubt that that's going to be the case. Um, but yeah. So we await February for that. You and I have kind of been primed to write about those financial results for weeks now, um, knowing that they were there or thereabouts and ready to be published. And now to get this, it's been like, oh, okay. I guess it gives us something, <clears throat> something to write about after the transfer window closes. But um, yeah, we shall see what happens with those. But hopefully, it means there's a bit of money there to do something in this window. Shall we discuss transfers now as we are talking about money as Spurs fans, you know, and every other fans of uh, clubs in the Premier League are just desperate for players to be coming in. We're approaching 
the midway midway point of the month now. And to be honest, it's been very quiet January so far. I know Chelsea have been, you know, active in the market. Liverpool signed yeah. Cody Gakpo. Uh, but a lot of clubs have yet to make the move. And I think Tottenham fans are desperate for news on Pedro Porro at Sporting CP. And there's been talk of Leandro Trossard at Brighton this week. It looks like he's been offered to clubs to potentially get a move away from the Amex. Uh, this month, uh, it looks like he's fallen out of favour uh, with their manager at the moment. His contract does expire in the summer, but I believe Brighton have uh, an option to extend it for 12 months, and that's something they certainly will do just to increase that market value. Is Trossard someone you'd be happy with at, at Tottenham? Um, I think as another squad option, of, yeah, I'd say so. I think... He is absolutely a Paratici Conte style signing rather than a Spurs one. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I think, yeah, the price will be an interesting point because clearly it sounds like among the local Brighton reporters that he's pretty much kind of being pushed to one side at the moment and, and kept apart. Only going off what some of the Brighton reporters are saying. Um, obviously, you know, we know how Daniel Levy likes to sense a good deal. Uh, and maybe he sees that and like, well, you don't want him anyway. Um, but, you know, he's, he's certainly, he, well, he is. He's a ready-made Premier League player. There's, there's no other way to really put it. Um, he's got seven goals and two assists in 16 Premier League games this season. So nine goal involvements in 16, is that's what you want. I mean, he's 28, so he isn't normal Spurs profile signing. You know, we know they like to... 22, 23, 24, more than a 28-year-old. However, yeah, I do feel he really much fits the mould of what Conte would want among his attacking options. Obviously, he plays off the left more so, but also centrally. He would be competing with Sonny, maybe Perisic, and Richarlison can also play there as well. So from, if I'm looking from his point of view, you've got a way up between Tottenham Hotspur being a... a I guess it with no disrespect to Brighton, it is a step up in terms of what you're doing. You're playing Champions League games as well. Well, hopefully, hopefully more this season after the two. Um and yeah, but I it, it that's a tough nut to crack. That, that's some big players to try and get in ahead of. Um so would he play regularly? I'd be surprised if he does. Would he get lots more minutes from the bench? I think he would. I think he is someone you could throw into a game. And, you know, he's a player that's called Spurs problems over the past when they've played Brighton as well. Um, look, it seems to be the case that he's being offered around uh, by his people. So I think there'll be a fair few clubs that will have been, uh, you know, told that he could be available this window. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I wouldn't, uh, not that it's important whether I have an issue <laughs> with it or not, but I, I wouldn't have any issues with the signing. I think as a squad player, especially as we kind of can see how the future's going for Lucas Moura now. Lucas, obviously, this injury has been a nightmare for him all season. The deal to, the option to extend his contract by 12 months lapsed in December without Spurs taking it. So he is now set to, unless there's an incredible U-turn, set to leave in the summer on a free transfer. So Trossard, I guess, in that scenario, as your Lucas replacement, I don't think that's a bad swap at all. Um, I think that's fine. If I'm going to be brutally honest, more of an end product than Lucas Moura. Um, certainly looking at those numbers, that would suggest that. Obviously, Lucas has had some big, big moments for Tottenham. 
Um, but in terms of, of producing goals and assists, just this season kind of shows that he's... I mean, it's unfair probably to compare this season because Lucas has been out with that uh, inflamed or tendon inflammation issue. Um, but yeah, I mean, you've alluded to this in the past. You know, Brian Hill would be likely to stay now. And um, Christian Cellini pretty much told me that when I... Well, he did. <laughs> it was quite clear. So is he saying yes? So, um, you know, with Brian Hill, Trossard, Kulusevski, um, Richarlison, Richarlison, Kane, Son, that suddenly becomes a very strong-looking line, as long as you've got them all available. And I think that's been Conte's biggest issue, has been having more than just, like, three available. But, yeah, no, I think Trossard would be a good one. Um, Spurs do see... I mean, I'm not saying this is Spurs' fault or anything, but they do seem to go to for players sometimes who end up kind of not having a bit of a huff, but being like put on the sidelines and stuff like that. I don't, I don't know whether they target them because they're going to do that, or they do that because of the interest. I don't know. I remember even Davinson Sanchez, I think, had a bit of a an issue at Ajax. Kind of was, uh, I want to say he went on strike, but he had a bit of a huff when it looked like they weren't going to accept it to begin with and stuff like that. But there's been a few like that. But yeah, no, Trossard, I think, would be um, would be a very good Tottenham signing. What do you make of him? I really like him. I think he's a really, really good player. That'd be a smart move from Tottenham, especially, you know, given his contract situation you could certainly save some money uh, compared to what you would be paying full market value if he did have a couple of years left on his contracts uh, the thing for me is would you be better moving for a player who predominantly plays on the right you don't want mm. to be too heavy on the left but one thing for well, I him I suppose you've got Kulisevsky and Hill on the right haven't you yeah I suppose uh, versatility is uh, always a good thing and you know, he's provided the numbers for Brighton over the past few seasons, bags of Premier League experience. You just think he's someone who could fit straight in. The one thing he needs to decide on is just if he does leave Brighton, where does he go? Because I think as a footballer, you want to be playing week in, week out. And with those players already at Tottenham, is he going to play week in, week out? No, probably not. But there will be opportunities there for him over the course of the season with, you know, the competitions uh, Tottenham will be playing. And I think he's been linked with Chelsea in the past, hasn't he? And obviously, Graham Potter's there for now. Obviously, yeah. Chelsea, uh, very now, short. Now, look at that. For now. Che- Chelsea, very short uh, up front, number of injuries. Jao Felix now suspended for a few games following that red card. So, I, I mean, know when, this isn't a Chelsea podcast, but I didn't understand the logic of that signing. I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong, he's a fantastic young player, but when you're desperately in need of a front man <clears throat> and then you whack down whatever it was, 10, 11 million for a, a loan for a, another attacking midfielder type. What was the it just smacks of desperation a bit. There wasn't any talk of him going and then all of a sudden it was like, bang, mm. deal's done. So, yeah, uh, for Trossard, as I've said, I think it would be a really, really good sign. I think there will be a number of interested clubs in him. He's a very talented player. Obviously, uh, Belgium International probably will get a bit more of a uh, run in the team now uh, that they're going to have uh, a new man at the helm. So, yeah, I think all in all, if they could get a deal over the line, I think it'd be a really smart signing. Yeah. And I suppose I've got any Belgians anymore, have they? Unless I'm missing someone. No, I don't believe so. No, no Dem- Dembele, Alderweireld, the Tongan, all gone. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, no, no. I think, uh, yeah, I do see the logic in that if it's one that happens. Um, 
like I say, absolutely smacks of a Conte Paratici style signing. So, yeah, maybe one to keep an eye on as the uh, next few. Do you know the interesting thing about this? I do find that is in the summer, especially last summer, Spurs did their stuff quite early, got it done, um, and then there was less bubbling around at the end. Whereas in the January window, they always seem to do it the other way around. And what I find really fascinating in the January window compared to the summer, there's so there's so much, I think, tighter in the way they do things. There's less leaks. There's less, you know, you can see the player names sometimes that come out and you're just like, yeah, okay, that, that's that's clearly not someone that's actually ever coming to Tottenham. Um, but I just feel like even transfer news has been so little, so few links to Spurs. And I think that is very much because they're trying to do so much on the on the down low um because january is is a window especially this one after the world cup where they want to try and sneak stuff over the line because even like the pedro porro stuff um i've been speaking to loads of agents this week and i've had some have told me that they believe that porro is a smokescreen and they're actually going to someone else but then i've also had other agents have told me oh no 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 porro is the main target they're going for that you know that's kind of well known throughout the various thing uh, the agent network as it were um so it's quite fascinating that even some of the agents have different views on exactly what Spurs' requirements are and what they need. But uh, from what I understand, still the main objectives remain the same. Right wing back, um, especially if they can get some of the wing backs they have out, one or two, um, and an attacker. And then centre back uh, for the summer, the main aims are a couple of centre backs, left and right sided. Obviously, the right side could play in the middle or the left sided could, I guess. Um, a central midfielder and a long-term Hugo Lloris replacement. Of course, among those uh, category, if any were to suddenly become available in this window and they thought, okay, let's move up that project slightly, then I'm sure they would look at it. I suppose it's a bit like Luis Diaz at Liverpool when Spurs came in for him. Suddenly Liverpool went, oh, we're going to get him in the summer, but we'll bring him in now then and ended up you know, being quite a useful addition that year. So, yeah, I'm sure Spurs would look at any other deals if they suddenly arose, but primarily the priorities were meant to be in this window, right wing back and an attacker. So, yes, there's certainly obviously one right wing back that's been uh, in the news a fair bit with Spurs. Yeah, so uh, why aren't Tottenham paying this release clause then, Pedro Porro? That's what <laughs> every Tottenham fan is asking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, release clause. Oh, my goodness. Anytime I mention this, you get people getting very angry about it. I understand the frustration because people want Spurs to act like, let's put in quote marks, one of the big clubs. I don't think it's acting like one of the big clubs, though, really. I think it's acting like one of the hugely cash-rich clubs. Um, release clause on paper, I, I get it. It just sounds like an obvious thing. All right, there's the fee. Pay that money. Get the player. What's the, what's the problem? I totally understand that and the frustration of why that doesn't take place. But what I would say is purely looking at it from a business point of view and how Premier League clubs operate, so few of them actually pay release clauses because the whole idea of a release clause is it's paid when the selling club does not want to negotiate. They don't want to sell that player. So in that case, the, so the release clause ends up in the fee has to be paid in full. Most Premier League clubs, you know, other than, well, no, no, even the cash-rich ones like to do deals in instalments. You know, that means that they don't lose all of their cash reserves in one thing or, or a massive cash, cash reserves in one thing. And what you'll often find, and this is what I tried to say when people 
uh, get very upset about it, is actually sometimes a club will try to negotiate a fee that is higher than the release clause because they're spreading it across instalments. I guess it's like going in and buying a very expensive TV from someone like PC World, I guess. You could either just pay what's on the thing or you can do some kind of finance agreement where you end up paying a bit more for it, but it's spread out. I'm just comparing Pedro Porro to a TV <laughs> there. Um, but yeah, it's that similar idea. So very few clubs actually do that release because obviously in the world you've got the likes of uh, Manchester City. But even they, you know, someone said to me, that was one of the replies I got on Twitter when I said about it, it's like, well, City did it with Haaland. It's like, yeah, well, City <laughs> have the most enormous cash reserves probably of any of the clubs in the world. So, yeah, if anyone can say, right, well, we just need that player, we do it, it's them. And obviously, like we've said, Chelsea very much chucking the money around, so I'm sure that maybe they wasn't hesitated certain amounts. Um, Newcastle perhaps will end up going down that route as well. Um, and, yeah, it's... But it isn't something that most other clubs do. It's not a Spurs thing. I know it's quite easy to say, oh, Spurs always trying to save a buck, stuff like that. It is just a general thing across football, especially in the European leagues. You look across the continent, it's so rare that clubs out there pay the release clause fee. And when they do, it's like, it is a silly transfer. Because like in La Liga, you have to, isn't there an actual process of having to go to La Liga headquarters? and putting the money in or something like that. And then that actually activates the release clause. It's a, it's a very kind of old school system. Um, so, yeah. So this is the issue with Pedro Porro, is that sporting, Ruben Amarin has been very clear about it. He constantly says there's no way he goes. We don't want to sell him unless someone activates that release clause, which is around, it's 45 million euros, which I think is about 39.5 million pounds, something like that. Obviously, it keeps changing all the time with the exchange rates, but it's, I guess it's whether Spurs value him at that price as well. That's, that's a big price, especially when you already have 75 right wing backs at the moment. That's, that's a big thing. That's a big amount of money to shell out. Even if you're in installments, that's a, that's a big valuation for a player who, you know, what a couple of seasons ago was at Man City and not getting many game time. You know, of course he's, Look, I'm not doing him down. That sounds like I'm trying to discredit him. And absolutely not. He's a terrific young player. Was he 23, 24? Still pretty young. Um, had a brilliant season for sporting. Um, like I said before, some questions over physically where he matches the exact mould you'd have a Conte wingback. Conte wingbacks are normally, let's put it like uh, in the right way, big lads. They're normally ones that can get on the end of a cross at the from the other post. Uh, he's not that. I think he's about 5'7", five, 5'8", five, something like that. Um, but of course, attacking sense, yeah, he, he's going to um, provide you probably with more than some of the current options in that role. Um, but like I said, there's so much also in that. There's so many elements. To this. There's the release clause thing, the sporting not really wanting to negotiate at this moment in time. There's um, the amount of right wing backs that are there. Matt Doherty obviously finding a bit of sharpness and form now. Emerson Real not really being desperate to leave the club at all, um, being quite happy despite, obviously, the criticism that's coming his way. And then you've got Jed Spence, who would appear from the outside to have a lot of the attributes to fit the exact role that Spurs want. And obviously, they only signed him, what, four or five months ago. So it would be rather ridiculous that you're then trying to sign another right wing back, your, you know, your fourth one within a couple of years. Um, 
but yeah, it'll be interesting where it goes because I do think he'd be very good at Tottenham, Poro. Um, and yeah, he's a player that the club have liked for a little while. Oh, the other thing I was going to say, there are some suggestions. I haven't been able to have this entirely confirmed yet, so very much treat it as just a suggestion at the moment that if he were to be sold by Sporting within a certain amount of time, Man City would be owed some money. And if that's the case, that would be another contributing factor to why they would want the full amount up front kind of thing. Um, I should even state that in a normal deal, when, when we talk about upfront stuff, even that upfront money can be spread out across a long time. Um, like, let's say, Bentonker, for example. I mean, I know he was cheap comparatively for what he's become, but I think he was selling like 15, 16 million upfront, in quote marks, and then up to 20 eventually with add-ons. But even that upfront... You could see it on the Juventus website. It came with a caveat. It could be spread. It could be paid over five years. I think it was over three or five years. So, yeah, this is why a release clause is so different. Um, it's a very, very different way of operating uh, for ninety percent of clubs in world football. Um, so, yeah, we'll see what happens. Sorry, that was a very long explanation of the whole release clause thing. But um, and I understand the frustration one hundred percent when you're waiting for your club to do something and you know that this is a pivotal transfer window, I think, and getting one or two faces in through the door. But there is this other element to it. Um, and, you know, whether Spurs wait until the summer, whether the player wants to move right now, you know, we're not entirely sure whether that's the case. He very well may be interested in Tottenham, but whether he wants to move right now mid-season is a different thing. Um, I guess, yeah, the answers will reveal themselves in the next probably... You'll know, I reckon, the next week or so which way it's heading, I think. Yeah, I think things will start picking up over the next week or so. Uh, very similar to the Jed Spence deal in the summer, whereas everyone was saying, basically, pay the money right away at the start of June, let's get him on board, and then Spence, it took until the middle of July, I think it was after the preseason tour of South Korea, when he eventually mm. you know, linked up with the rest of the Tottenham team. At the end of the day... It's... Oh, he did link up with them, did he? I'm just trying to... Just that. Did <laughs> he, did he apparently, apparently, yeah. <laughs> uh, at the end of the day, it's a business deal. You're not going to pay X million over what you value it is. It's yeah. just a case of, you know, trying to meet in, in, in the middle. So, yeah, it's just one we're going to have to wait and see what happens uh, there has on... to be a compromise there has to yeah. be and it's difficult we don't even us I know the fans don't but we don't like talking about football as a business either it's 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 not the beautiful game is it it's not what we kind of want to talk about and how you know they are businesses and the way they're run but unfortunately it does come into play it does it, it would be great for me and I think quite a few others if Tottenham like Aston Villa in the transfer Villa are like the masters of making signings where there's been no talk of these mm. players whatsoever. Just like all of a sudden the tweet appears, oh, Villa have signed Danny Ings. There was no talk about that. Yeah. I mean, that would be great if there was just, you know, a massive surprise. <laughs> no talk of a player and then all of, all of a sudden he's a top is player. It, in the... Is it because maybe agents are more willing to throw Tottenham's name in there as a slightly bigger club uh, in, this, in the modern sense of what they're doing. And that, you know, if you chuck Tottenham's name in there, perhaps you can incite some interest or spark some interest from even bigger clubs. I don't know. Whereas maybe if you put Villa in there, I don't know. Maybe there's there's less need for the agents to chuck that name out there. So they able to stay under the radar a little bit more. 
Yeah, maybe it does cite interest from other clubs, sparks them yeah. into in, in, interest. If obviously if Tottenham, Tottenham are linked. Yeah, it could could well be that. Uh, so yeah, Benton we'll have... is the only one I can remember really that Villa were linked with, and then suddenly Spurs came in and, and snapped him up. Yeah, very much so. Right, as we're now at the halfway stage of the pod, Ali, do you want to tell everyone about the benefits of using NordVPN? Of course, yes. The Golden Guest Talk Tottenham podcast, if you weren't aware, is sponsored by NordVPN, and you can use this service in a host of different ways to enhance your internet experience. So NordVPN is the fastest VPN in the world. That means there's no buffering, no lagging, and you can stream your favorite shows from anywhere in the world without your bandwidth throttling. I've done that. I haven't throttled my bandwidth, but I've certainly have used um, NordVPN in various places around the world to kind of help me access, uh, let's say, football, TV shows, movies and stuff for stuff that I already pay for here in the UK. But for some reason, there's restrictions when places you go where if you're in that country, you can't watch it. Whereas with NordVPN, it's very clever. You can essentially set your location to be back in the UK and you can watch these things wherever you want to be. Or likewise, you can flip that around and watch stuff from various other countries because you can tell your device that it's in America, let's say, or Australia or Asia or wherever you want to kind of use. And also, it's also a very safe uh, system to kind of padlocks pretty much your devices and stops other people coming in when you're using um, Wi-Fis and and, uh, and things like that. So, But not only that, the outlay for NordVPN uh, for its subscription is cheaper for you in the long run. That's because you can purchase streaming services or bookings from other countries, like I say, at a much cheaper rate. For example, YouTube Premium is just 85p if you change your virtual location to Argentina. And booking flights from other countries can be cheaper too, meaning you're paying out for Nord, but you're saving money overall. There's a whole host of other benefits from signing up to NordVPN, so why not give it a go? You can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. As we've been speaking about Pedro Porro, a right wing-back, we're going to speak about uh, one of the club's current right wing-backs, and that's Emerson Royale. He's been having a bit of a, a rough time uh, recently, uh, as I think everyone's well aware, there's been occasions where he has been booed in the games. And, you know, I think that's certainly playing on his mind and impacting his game at times. Ali, obviously, you actually got to speak to him this week. And, yeah, you've got to feel a bit sorry for him at the moment. I thought you were going to say, Ali, you've been booing him. <laughs> that was the way you go. I was going, that's fine. <laughs> don't remember doing that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Unexpected little kind of back and forth with uh, Emerson Royale this, this week, which I was not expecting, I'll be honest. Um, and yeah, I do feel for him. Look, I've had my say on Emerson Royale and my beliefs in him being a very solid right back, but perhaps not being a wing-back, and I think that's the biggest issue, is that he's a player being played out of position. And, you know, you only have to look at his stats to show you why a wing-back... I mean, he is 24 this weekend, I think. I think it's this I think weekend. tomorrow, yeah. Tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. So he is still relatively young, so he could learn more strings to it or add more strings to his bow. But I, I, I'm just not entirely sure that's ever going to be his game. Um so that, for me, is why the booing and the massive ironic cheers when he kind of goes off um, 
and you know also abuse on social media he's had to switch his comments on instagram so only people he follows can reply to him um he hasn't tweeted since august what four or five months ago just because of the horrible things that people will say to him on social media you know you and i are often moaning about social media and this kind of idea where people feel that they can just absolutely have a go at someone which they would never say to their face ever in a million years but if you get them on twitter or Facebook or Instagram, whatever social media platform, suddenly it's as if they feel they have the right to be absolutely horrible to people. Um, yeah, I, I don't understand it. I mean, even this little interview uh, with Emerson, which I'm going to read out the quotes to you. And if you get to the end of these quotes, people out there, and don't feel a little bit sorry for Emerson, or at least feel, okay, it's harsh that he gets these things in, then I'm, I'm sorry, but you're dead inside. <laughs> you're so cold-hearted. But even when I put this interview out on Twitter, I had people tagging him in underneath and saying, get out of my club, you're not good enough, and stuff like that. So what? Where is the? Where does that come from? So here are his quotes, right? So, you know, I was asked about the, um, the criticism, the boos and all of this sort of stuff. And he said, it's not up to me to say whether the crowd's opinion is fair or not. There are people who pay to watch matches, but there are many people in favour. I do not seek to see these questions about me. I prefer to focus on doing my best for the club. I prefer to dedicate myself 100% to what I can do. Sometimes things go well, sometimes they don't, but it's not for lack of will or dedication. I never stop making an effort, trying to help my teammates and managing to sustain the happiness I have and put it out there on the field. I always try to do that. I understand all the manifestations of the fans. It's their role together, but you must understand... Uh, about the player, his moment, his will and repertoire. I'm trying to improve every day and live up to all the trust that motivates. I support myself a lot in the messages of affection I have received. And honestly, you know, this was done through kind of a translator as well, which is why some of the words are probably not quite the ones you'd normally hear. But on the whole, you can grasp from that. There's a guy that gives, there's no, absolutely no way you can deny, although Tottenham would normally deny these things, there's no way you can deny that Evesorail gives everything. He does. He's a 100% player. Um, he would put himself on the line for his teammates, for his club, for the shirt. And this is part of the reason why he doesn't seem to want to leave. You know, Spurs are willing to listen to offers for him, obviously because they're looking to bring in a new right wing back. But he's, he's very happy. He's very settled. He's a very popular player in the dressing room. Um, I said in one of the articles, the article I've written about him, that Conte... That's one of the aspects Conte likes about him. He's very driven, very hungry, and also a really good character having in the dressing room. Sometimes you get players that if they're not in the team, let's say they'll sulk, um, their, their whole demeanour isn't good, and it brings round, down everyone around them. Whereas Emerson in that dressing room, I'm not saying he's just a cheerleader or something, but he really does kind of is a very positive influence on others around him, even when he's not playing. Um yeah, that kind of went out. Someone extracted that bit and everyone was like, well, that's not a reason to keep him. It's like, well, no, that, that's that's part. <laughs> it's just part of the Emerson package and was a line at the bottom of a story that I wrote. Um, but yeah, so I do feel sorry for him. I do feel that circumstances almost have pushed him into a role that he wasn't brought in for. Uh, it's not his best role. He can certainly do a job. Some of Spurs' biggest kind of performances in the big matches have had Emerson with terrific defensive performances. Uh, Man City away last season, very good, the 3-2 win. 
Uh, Liverpool draw. He was superb in that. I looked back at my player ratings and I raved about him that day. I gave him a nine. And I think I suggested it was his best ever performance in a Spurs shirt. So he's very capable of, you know, if the other team is coming at you and defending and you need someone that's going to be disciplined and tactically switched on, that's he's your man. I don't subscribe to the view that some people say, oh, no, he's not even a good right back. I don't subscribe to that at all. I do think in a as a solid right back, I do think he's, you know, he was, he was very good in La Liga. Um was he Betis, wasn't it? It was uh, Betis. Betis, uh, and then he got a move to Barca, so he's clearly well, obviously like got something one, about him. It? I think Betis and yeah. Barcelona signed him on a joint deal, and then he it was it was at Betis for a certain amount of time, and then Barcelona exercised their kind of let's have him now, but then because of their financial issues, sold him straight on to Spurs, which must have been gutting for him. Not <laughs> going to Spurs, but more the fact that I think it was his dream to eventually play for Barca, and he was there for about a month. He did one well, of those like GPR presentations, didn't he? Yeah. He played oh, he for did. him. Yeah, in yeah, the he played, end. A couple he of, yeah. played a few games, so he'll always yeah. have that. He, he will always have that. Yes. Thanks for the memories, Barcelona. <laughs> um, yeah. So, no, I do feel sorry for him. Um, I do think some of the, I, you know, you and I have the same mind. I understand where booing comes from because if you're, a, uh, you're paying your money, you are entitled to a view. I just don't think it ever helps a player i can't ever see a situation where it's a positive for a player um yeah that's my gripe with it is that i understand where it comes from but i don't see the positive it brings but i also understand it is born of frustration um but yeah so for emerson who knows what the future holds for him you know i think it's one of these where if spurs really want to get him out the door for someone else and he has had there have, has been interest from spain and italy in him but you know speaking to people around him there doesn't seem to be any wish to engineer a deal um i think there was some talk that perhaps last summer he could have gone atletico madrid were certainly interested in him then um but i think from what i understand he had a bit of a face-to-face talks with Conte and they kind of um, turned the page as it were, which is why he ended up staying at Spurs. But, you know, we'll see what this window brings and whether any opportunities open up for him that he does want to explore or whether he, uh, you know, digs his heels in and, and sticks around or whether Spurs just don't go. I should say, while there's interest, there's no been no concrete offer. I think loan to buy is the kind of suggestion of what the interest may be. But it still has to be a deal, I guess, that suits Spurs as well. Yeah, I was just going to say, obviously, what what you were saying about the booing. Yeah, I understand people have paid an awful lot of money for the tickets, for the season tickets, and they can air their views, but nothing good comes of it. Uh, I mean, for Emerson, and you know how loud he can get in Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And if there's yeah. thousands and thousands booing, it doesn't do any good at all. I mean, I wasn't there for the Leeds game when it was really, really bad. But I was there the week before against Liverpool and you could hear the boos when, obviously, the ball was coming. And he's going to be petrified when the ball comes to him because he knows if he makes a mistake, he's just going to get louder and louder. And he's obviously been doing something right on the training pitch under Antonio Mm -hmm. Conte to be playing regularly. For me, and I think everyone else, he's a right back. He doesn't have the qualities to be 
a right wing back, a good one going he's forward. He's done everything he can, though. I'll yeah. say that as well. He's done everything he can to improve himself. You know, Tom Barkley, the son, did a, a good piece on. He spent him and his people spent like eight hundred grand on like a hyperbaric recovery chamber for him, oxygen chamber, I think it is, to to help his fitness and recovery. And he's brilliant in that. He really is a very fit kind of energetic guy. Um, and they've had scouting reports done on Hakimi, people like that, to try and understand what Conte wants in a wing back and replicate that. But ultimately, you know, you can only try, and that's what he's tried to do, and then maybe just reach a, a ceiling. Yeah, yeah. He's obviously he's giving one hundred and ten percent week in week out, and you know, if he's just not good enough for that position, it's no fault of his own. He's doing his best for Tottenham, and you know, yeah, he struggled, you know, with his final ball in the final third, but his movement as a right wing back's really good. He's Decent yeah, defensively. It's yeah, lots of good positions. Uh, as well. So, yeah, it's just really, really unfortunate. You just don't want to be hearing that uh, every home game. But like you're saying, people are paid big money for the tickets and season tickets. They can, you know, they can have the say on uh, on matters. Uh, so, an Emerson winner in the North London derby would be very nice <laughs> on Sunday. Oh, can you imagine? <laughs> Wow. Well, he almost scored against Portsmouth. Really, really unlucky with that header. What he hit did. the post? Yeah, yeah, that got himself in a good position. Yeah, I mean, came... if you wanted to be ultra critical, you could have maybe said that because he was unmarked, he probably should have got it in target. But he did put it in a very good place across the keeper. It probably was the right way to go. No, it was unfortunate. Yeah, it was. Uh, as we were discussing the FA Cup then, Tottenham are away at Preston North End. Uh, the draw was on Sunday. Ties due to be played between Friday the 27th of January and Monday the 30th. Preston, decent season so far. Uh, going all right in the championship. I think Started a bit in slow, and... didn't it? They were struggling for goals for quite a while. Yeah, but they weren't conceding. I think it got to no, a point true, where they yeah. about eight or nine games in where they what, scored for and conceded for. It was something, yeah, something really like strange like that, but... The picked up, I think they're in and around the playoffs, probably need to get a bit of a run together if they want to finish in the top six. But the FA Cup draw means there'll be uh, no time for Troy Parrott to play, unfortunately, as uh, as was the case with Dane Scarlett. Yeah, I was going to say, Portsmouth. do you think Spurs have put in a request and said, like, <laughs> can we only uh, play against teams where we have a young loan striker at so that they can't yeah. play? <laughs> Could well be. Uh, as well as the FA Cup draw, there was some news, I think it was Monday this week, uh, Gareth Bale has called time on his career at the age of 33 perhaps not a shock uh, but what a career he's had won it all in Spain I think five Champions League scored you know match winning goals in a few of those as well some player well oh, it's honestly incredible um, that season under Andre Villas-Boas when Spurs like got their record points total at the time I've never seen, you know, you know, we, we you talk about like a one-man team kind of thing that like Pep was called like the Harry Kane team and all this sort of stuff with Spurs in the past. Although Spurs had, uh, they would have had Modric and Vertonghen and players like that, I think that season, yet still that was the closest I've ever seen a team dragged across a league competition, a league season by one player. And it, he was honestly unplayable. I mean, the goal against West Ham was a perfect example. A game that was kind of petering out and he just scores this incredible top corner goal. Goal against Stoke from Aaron Lennon's cross was just incredible. Obviously, we know very well um, 
previously about the um, Inter Milan performances as well. But then, yeah, he's gone on as it was never really entirely disclosed whether it was the record transfer at the time or not, because I think Ronaldo didn't want it to be or something. I don't know. Or sorry, they suggest there were reports that he didn't want it to be or something. But he went on to Real Madrid. And despite what came later and, and stuff, he was an incredible success there. You know, you go there and win, was it four or five Champions League titles? That's what I remember. Was it four? Five. Four? It was five. five. Was it five in the end? Yeah. This is remarkable. La Liga titles, you know, that Copa del Rey final goal, the remarkable one when he came off the pitch and came back on during the run. Um, he has to be up there with the most successful British players of all time. Um Certainly ones that have gone abroad. I think he has to be the most um, successful. Yeah, phenomenal career. My only disappointment, really, is that he came back to Spurs. Obviously, he wasn't at the peak of his powers, but still contributed quite a lot. But my biggest disappointment is that the fans didn't really get to see him live because, obviously, so many closed stadiums. Um, uh, it's, honestly, that was... There's moments, you know, you and I, we will say that, oh, this feels a real privilege to kind of be here um, when we're allowed to go to games and, you know, and big finals and things like that. For me, being able to see Gareth Bale live again in a Tottenham shirt was an incredible privilege. Um, and, yeah, he retires, you know, at the very peak and it will no doubt earn enough money to last him several lifetimes, but no doubt he'll... It'd be interesting to see what comes next for him. I think, obviously, we all think golf and all that kind of thing is like the joke, which is, may well be true that he goes into that in some more serious capacity. But, yeah, he, he can rightly say, essentially, football, done that, tick it off, because he has. And, and even playing at a World Cup with Wales, which is a historic thing in itself. Yeah, fair play to him. Incredible player. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's just a shame how that 2020-21 season panned out a bit for him because everyone was just expecting this formidable front three with Harry Kane, Son Heung-min, and it just didn't work out, really. I was looking at Bale's starts that season. There was 10 starts in the Premier League, 10 times he came off the bench, and 10 times he was an unused substitute. But you're still looking at his goals, and he got 16 goals in 34 games in all competitions. Yeah. And I think 13 of those came in the second half of the season. It was hat-trick against Sheffield United. Two on the last day at Leicester. Um, very important goals as well to get Tottenham a place in the, the Europa Conference League at the time. Uh, I think he got a couple like against Burnley. Yeah, a couple against Burnley. A couple against Crystal Palace as well. So there were certainly moments, and I just think, as, as you were saying, it's just such a shame that weren't 60,000 Tottenham fans inside the stadium to see him. I think there was probably only the Arsenal and the Aston Villa home games that season where there was limited numbers coming in. Yeah, Yeah. real, real shame. But when you look back at his career, absolutely incredible. Right, shall we discuss the little matter of a North London derby coming up on Sunday at 4.30 at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Every time you say Mata, I always just think now of Pape Mata. So <laughs> you said it a couple of times. I think, oh, we're about to talk about Pape now. Uh, Pap. No, we don't want to repeat of that terrible joke <laughs> from last week. So, it's yeah. <laughs> North London Derby. Uh, this is a big, big game. Uh, yeah. Tottenham needing the points to get back in the top four. Arsenal, five points clear of Man City. Uh 
at the moment. Man City are at Manchester United tomorrow afternoon. So they could potentially extend that lead there. Tottenham, first of all, need a performance in the derby, especially after how the game at the Emirates panned out in October. Yeah. Yeah, this is a huge week in so many aspects. It's in the title race itself. You know, obviously with Spurs playing City and then playing actually City again after the Fulham game, isn't it? So Spurs can have a real say, really, on what happens for for both of these teams at the top. And also, there's pressure around. So Arsenal won't want to kind of have City breathing down their necks if they were to not get the three points. Spurs don't want to let this become, oh, it'd be a 14-point gap with Arsenal if they lose. Uh, obviously, you could cut it down to eight if they were to win. Um, yeah, it's a huge game. It's one of these kind of, I wouldn't say it's season-defining, but it very much is one that could have a big impact on how the second half goes of the season. Um, and also, I'd say, the mood of the fans as well. You know, this has been a big thing in recent weeks. So if Spurs could pull it out of the bag and win the North London derby in front of a full house at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, I think that lifts everyone and creates a different atmosphere if they lose and even lose badly, you know, we use that word toxic, but I think that's what's going to happen. I think you're going to see a lot of that anger and frustration poured out, um, probably more towards the board and the club and Daniel Levy and people like that. But the pressure, honestly, in this January transfer window then would just be incredible to get it right and not make any silly panic buys. Um, so, yeah, it's a massive game. It's a massive game. They've had a whole week to kind of re- prepare. He gave him a couple of days off after the win against Portsmouth. Um, and now, yeah, got to put it into practice. And, of course, we we await to see. We've got the press conference coming very soon where we await to see who's going to be uh, available. Yeah. Uh, good news for Tottenham this week is, obviously, Dane Kulaseski was back on the training pitch. There was some footage from Sky Sports showing him working away from the rest of the group, just going through some running exercises. But then there were some also pictures of him doing a bit of ball work, what I suppose is certainly a positive ahead of the derby. And then Yves Basuma uh, drops out of the Portsmouth game with uh, a knock in the warm-up, but he was straight back into training with the rest of his teammates. So uh, just really waiting now to see if, if Kulisewski is in a position now to you know, be part of the squad, maybe playing then the same for Rodrigo Benton, Kieran, I think uh, we need to know as well how far Richarlison is away uh, from returning. And, you know, Tottenham need all their big players available. This is a really, really important run of games coming up. Uh, you know, the trip to Man City four days after the North London derby. Fulham away. Fulham are absolutely flying at the moment. So <laughs> that's such a difficult game now. That's not an easy game at all. The FA Cup game away at Preston, then Man City at home. So this could potentially define where you know Tottenham finish in the league come come May and Sunday's game, the derby. Arsenal have been really, really impressive this season, but the way the derbies have been panning out in recent years, it's the home side wins their home game. So, I mean, could we see another Tottenham home win? I hope so. (laughs) so. Um, Purely because, like I say, I know what we're going to have to be writing about afterwards if it's not. Um, Yeah. Often when you think something is going to fall into a pattern, it doesn't. So I don't want to go too much down the, yeah, one wins at home each time. 
But I think it'll be key who's available. I think Kudusevsky would be a big plus. It'd be harsh on Brian Hill if he does come into the starting lineup, but I think it would probably be a decision you'd make. Spurs have kind of been very... Uh, I mean, we may know more by the time you guys are listening to this podcast, but Spurs have kind of kept everything Benton is doing a bit under wraps this week. Um, it may even be that Conte kind of plays it down. It's all very much, oh, I don't know, we'll see with Benton Cool. Um, and whether he is a late decision. But also, even if he is available, that's a big ask for him to come straight into a team because he hasn't played for about six weeks. I think it's December the 2nd, his last match in, at the World Cup when he when he got this um, adductor muscle tear. So that's a big ask to put him in. Uh, Basuma, we obviously, we know is back in training after his ankle problem. Um, and then you've got the questions of whether you match them up in the three in the middle. You know, do you go with that as well so you don't lose all the control in the middle of the park? There's so much to it. Um, yeah, just Tottenham have to have to put in the performance that the, I guess the fans deserve and that they, you know, properly represents themselves because, like you say, this Arsenal team have been in terrific form, but they've also been kind of battling out results as well, sometimes when they haven't been particularly well. And that is the sign of a team that, you know, potentially could be champions. Um, but Spurs have to play on what's been the Arteta-Arsenal issue, I guess, in the past has been when the pressure's on. Sometimes they have crumbled and we saw it towards the end of last season. So Spurs maybe have to play on that aspect as well with City breathing down their necks a bit. Does City play first? City play tomorrow lunchtime uh, right. at Manchester United, yeah. Okay, so we could have a scenario where City are two points behind Arsenal going into the match, uh, going into the North London derby. So that only ramps up the pressure as well. Um, yeah, we could really probably do with City winning that, couldn't you? Because there's a few reasons, obviously, to stunt United's kind of progress a bit and also to, to put the pressure on on Arsenal. So, uh, yeah, massive match and uh, we shall see how it goes. I think the same goes for Tottenham in that situation as well because obviously Manchester United, Man City, uh, I think Man United a couple of points ahead of Tottenham at the moment so Spurs really need favour from Man City. Then the two o'clock game on the Sunday is actually Newcastle against Fulham. Fulham, you know, aren't that far away from the Champions League places. I think Tottenham are a couple of points away from Newcastle. So, Yeah, there could be a couple of favours done for Tottenham, what would be nice. And then if Spurs can get all three points in the North London derby, then that would set them up really nicely for next Thursday's trip to the Etihad Stadium. Right, I think we'll leave that there for today's latest episode of Golden Guest Tottenham. Thank you for listening as ever. And just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee.